Hey there, Deep Dive listeners. Now, before we dive in, we want to address a little issue with the audio. It seems like we had a bit of noise in this recording. It appears there was some material caught in our guest's mic, but rest assured this episode is still packed with valuable content. So hopefully you'll enjoy our conversation this week exploring the world of real estate. Hey there, welcome to the Deep Dive Lab. Each episode, we'll sit down with experts and thought leaders to get a glimpse into their world. We'll take you on a journey behind the scenes to explore all the different industries from tech to business, healthcare, and design. I'm your host, Jacintha Kurniawan. This week, we have Greg Folk, who is the founder and director of Cushio Advisory, which helps organizations operate efficiently across strategy, technology, innovation, and data. He has over 21 years of experience in global, public, and private companies, including a big four firm in the consulting practice. He has plus 15 years of real estate experience working with real estate technology companies, PropTech and Contech, which we'll explore today in this episode. And some of the notable projects include co-developing financial models for the $2.8 billion buyout of IntraWest by Fortress Investment. He developed and managed a 25-year master plan model for a 130-acre development project with over 7.2 million square feet of living space. And he advises real estate tech company on product development for data extraction and analysis tool. Thanks, Greg, for joining us here. Thanks very much for having me. So today we will explore the world of real estate tech. But before that, how did you end up in real estate? Yeah, so way back, got involved in what we now call FPNA, financial planning and analysis, and just continued to be in the space and through various organizations, continued to move into the Deloitte space in consulting and work with a number of really great real estate development, asset management organizations, helping them move the needle. So kind of been in real estate for a long time, also dabbled or very early got into to real estate myself, just buying my own house back in the 2000 days where the great dot-com crash. And so mm-hmm. just been fixing and tinkering in homes as well on the side. So yeah, pretty involved in all aspects uh, across the board there. Yeah, I was going to say, you've been in it for a long time. You must enjoy the field. Absolutely. And it's rare from even personal or home renovations all the way to to sort of understanding what the market looks like across the board. So a pretty exciting space to be in. Well, it's a great segue to just dive straight in. The big question is, what is real estate tech? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, it's quite a broad area. And what I will do is start briefly around real estate in itself. Mm-hmm. There's so many aspects of real estate encompassing anywhere from uh, agents and brokerage companies and boards to construction development companies to asset managers to investments. So the whole industry is quite broad. But in general, uh, real estate technology is generally fo- forming into two categories. One of them is prop tech and the other one is, is context. So property technology and, and construction technology. And these generally sit within property management. And the construction side is tailored to organizations who do construction and development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some examples of leg tech? 
Yeah, so for PropTech, a big part of this is really reimagining the way property managers optimize and automate their processes. So it could be anywhere, say, for instance, if you're a tenant, your experience around engaging with the property manager. So what is the technology behind simple things of finding a property to the verification process, all the way to move out process in this area? I will say that traditionally, Real estate has been a laggard in technology. And so this this whole environment is so new. And so they're really ripe for innovation in this space. And we start to see this more and more. Because I was going to point out, I would say that real estate is sort of in the low maturity scale when it comes to innovation and tech. But we are definitely seeing a growth of innovation. I want to jump into what you said about sort of finding a property. So if we go into this problem of now a lot of people struggle to not only sell their property, but also find a property. What innovation do you see in this space? Yeah, so it does vary quite a bit. The part of the challenge with innovation is that there's so much of it. And mm-hmm. there's not only local innovation that's happening at the city level, there's regional innovation that's happening at a state or province level. And even national level, but also at a global level. So there's a lot of innovation that's happening, but also overlap, which really makes it challenging for organizations who are looking to digitize and improve their processes to select the right technology based on their requirements and their needs. So there is quite a lot, and we start to see a lot of them, especially in your neck of the woods and Vancouver as well, even finding a property Uh, And also verification process and on both ends. So the landlord side, but also on those who are actually looking for solutions to find properties. Mm -hmm. There is this name that uh, the name is escaping me now. It's a startup based in Silicon Valley. I think you probably would know where they try to automate this process really easily for people to flip homes and so the organization hires a bunch of data scientists, mathematicians, PhDs to really evaluate the property as best as they can and then try to flip them again within a couple of months, which I think is is incredible. I think innovations like this is really starting to come up. Do you see anything similar to these in your field? Yeah, absolutely. There are a number who have started to do this, but also are failing and have taken a step back and, and I won't necessarily name, name them. It's, <laughs> a lot of that is, is sort of public now, but absolutely. And I think if we can kind of think about where this is moving to, it's certainly around a number of themes, one of which is how do we create frictionless experiences for clients? And the other aspect of this is how do we gather the data? How do we gather information so that we can use and uncover ways to execute on data-driven opportunities? I think the big aspect around this is how do we capture this information? How do we use this information and analyze this information? And then how do we find ways to execute on the data-driven opportunities that are presenting itself in these? And so we're starting to see a lot of organizations targeting on how to capture and gain store this information for the next phases of evolution as you kind of look to that maturity on that side. So early stages, certainly in the fields, as organizations are looking towards things like digital twins or IoT, these are areas where data capture is a critical point where 
a lot of information, a lot of data points. Millions and millions of data points are being captured and housed in different ways and different models. But the next evolution is certainly how do you, you connect all this information and data and then how do you action that? would love to dive straight into IoT and Digital Twin. We actually have a separate episode specifically focused on IoT and AI. So listeners, if they want to listen, there's another episode out there. But curious to hear about how IoT is used in this real estate world. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, absolutely. There's many areas organizations are starting to embrace and use IoT. I'm going to focus specifically on property management. Asset managers have properties, web buildings, and these buildings are given off various data points of information. So it could be anywhere from the temperatures within certain areas of the building, or even office spaces or meeting rooms. It could be motion sensors that are detecting whether somebody is in certain rooms or covering off certain areas. And the interesting part of IoT is it's continuously capturing data points. And over time, where the real value is, is making sense of these data points. So a simple example would be really around, as I mentioned, motion sensors or even temperature sensors. So taking those two examples, if over time you notice that individuals aren't in specific rooms or areas and the temperature is, say, 30 degrees Celsius, um, that could actually be maybe reduced when there's less people in that area. So how do you optimize the building for not only savings, but this certainly ties into the broader ESG space around how is the organization moving more towards the climate change and contributing towards aspects of the environment and reducing energy costs. So that's just kind of one example of, of IoT. There's many across the board, including monitoring various units they have or say air conditioners within the building and monitoring vibrations of these units to indicate whether number one, maintenance is required for further down prevention of actual failure. So this is certainly important when we have fluctuations in things like heat waves, as we've kind of seen in various cities across Canada. But if you can start to use this and start to use the data to predict when things will fail and preemptively either do maintenance or replace units, the experiences for users and clients at the end of the day is, is huge. So... Just to, to sort of recap, so IoT are essentially devices, physical objects that essentially now are connected through a system, through a cloud. And one of the examples that you mentioned, which is like the heat and motion sensor, which would be really helpful to optimize buildings ESG, which is environmental social governance, and also maintenance for the future. Do you also see this in a larger scale? Which Because obviously the one thing, in my opinion, at least with tech, is that it can be quite costly. So in terms of the finance side of it, do you see a lot of capital funded towards these technologies? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think as the technology gets more traction and more adoption, the costs will certainly go down. When we start to see the ESG side, and this is certainly an aspect where it's evolving and as requirements are starting to come in more and reporting certainly is starting to be more stringent and rigid and guidance is being provided around that. We start to see, certainly from the investor side, mm -hmm. investors are more and more interested in 
organizations. So absolutely, there are certainly opportunities there that will, in your future, make sense to potentially have reduced costs in some form or financing. But more and more, we're really seeing it from the investor side more than anything else on that end. Yeah, that whole space is very large and growing in that, that aspect. So more absolutely to come. Right, right. Before you go into all the different types of technologies and how Digital Twin is being used in real estate, could you elaborate a little bit more on what is Digital Twin? Yeah, from a high level, the Digital Twin is essentially taking a, um, a physical aspect, let's say, say a property, and digitizing it and putting it into a digital form. Not only that, but also having live and real-time information feed into this digital twin. So it's actually mirroring what we see sort of in that physical space. Mm, why is this important in the world of real estate? So with a digital twin, you can start to actually see issues even before they arise. For example, if you're in construction phase of a high-rise building, as you're moving to develop and build the floors, the ability to have a digital twin in place to overlay essentially new drawings or new aspects of the building within a digital aspect and mirroring this within uh, say a construction manager is on site and using technology to actually see okay there are aspects within what i'm physically seeing versus sort of this digital view that i'm maybe using a vr headset there's gaps between the plan versus kind of what i'm physically seeing here and so there are things where teams can really kind of uh, not only think about when they're actually building, what are the aspects or gaps before they actually get to build it. But as I take a step back here, even before that, you can almost start to overlay the information in the digital twin to real time see where some of the gaps are, where some of the issues are before they essentially happen. Um, what we're starting to hear is uh, certain aspects of the digital twins sh should be able to either reduce costs or reduce time to actually finished construction, as an example. There's a lot of discussions around how digitization, more in general, has really helped efficiencies across the board when you look at construction organizations and construction teams. Yeah, I definitely want to elaborate more on that because the only digital twin case studies that I do know is really more related to healthcare because you're essentially making a copy of a situation in real life to a digitized version so surgeons can try to practice on a virtual reality version of the world. So curious to understand how that could translate. So how will a digital twin translate to reduced costs and time? So I know you mentioned about foreseeing the future, if there's any in terms of constructions, could you quantify how that would then just go into reducing time and cost? Yeah, absolutely. And so as we evolve the vision and the view of the digital twin. The organizations hoping to achieve that utopia of what a digital twin can achieve. I don't think we're quite there yet. An example is looking at con construction management, for example, having a 3D model of the building itself. Where are the areas where as organizations go through the build, invariably, there's a lot of changes that happen. It could be the engineering side. It could be different pipes within 
the build. So how do you manage these? And a big part of some of the tools that are out there, the project management and construction, um, allow for some of these changes and for real time. But if you make one change in one area, the question is, well, what's the impact to the overall development as you move through mm-hmm. it? And so to be able to make these changes in a digital environment and understand the implications of the downstream dependencies um, is something that we're starting to explore and see through the developments. You can start to see these in in almost real-time changes, as you've seen from a digital perspective on how that will look and what that will impact to now think about, okay, what are the things downstream that we need to adjust for? whether it be timing of goods to be on site for installation or other aspects of, okay, we need to order a couple of other things. So um, benefits around reducing timeline costs, but also how do you optimize sort of builds as you move to completion in that aspect? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's so brilliant because you're essentially, instead of trying it out with the real building, you have sort of a virtual model that you can kind of play around with. What are the challenges, do you think, with these technologies are? I think the biggest challenge that organizations have is really unifying the information and unifying the data. In our day and age, there's so many different data points and different sources of information. How do you capture all this? And How do you ensure that the information that is coming through? I think that's where there's some real value that organizations can start to realize. I don't think we're quite there yet where we have a true picture of that digital twin. I think there's certainly steps that organizations have taken to move towards that digital twin. Example would be the Vancouver Airport Authority scanned all the buildings and started to create this digital twin beginning of all the physical buildings within the airport. And that's certainly a first step, but there are so many intricate parts within each building that adds value towards uh, that vision is for that digital twin, whether it be flow of water and pipes or electricity. So how do we create this environment where everything is speaking to each other, but also in in close to near real time. I think that's kind of the challenge because how depending on how old the information is, you can or can't act on, on the information that's coming through. How do you optimize for those experiences mm-hmm. and the challenges and, and issues that you're seeing in real life and the digital aspect? How do you capture real-time information of... For example, in that example of the Vancouver airport, how do you capture live information of something so vast, so quickly and updated constantly? Yeah, and I think this is the challenge that organizations have, right? And this is part of what that vision of a a true digital trend twin looks like, right? And it does depend on, number one, what the organization is trying to solve for and the benefits they see from digital twin. I think that's a big question that they have to ask and answer. But the other thing is that it's going to be a big investment. So this ties back into things like IoT devices. This ties back into aspects of just platform and data capture. How do you capture this volume of data? Where do you store it? But how do you standardize that? It ties into, again, the 
technology data governance, technology strategies overall. But certainly, I think as you take a step back, there are a downstream value and impacts that it has on organizations. As you start to monitor this information on a continuous basis uh, and go forward and identify anomalies in, in the data that's being captured throughout the organization from a digital twin perspective. Mm-hmm. How do we unify all the data together? Because in the other episode with IoT, the question that I asked really was more about data security. Now, more than ever, we are all really connected. So, for example, I spoke about this case study where there was a smart fridge that was hacked and it was linked to their Ring doorbell, to their Google Calendar, to their baby cam. And how do you remain data secure? But in this in this instance, we mentioned about unifying data. How do we do that? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think we're just we're also still trying to solve it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, and I think, as you mentioned before, the vast majority of real estate organizations are low maturity, and so will we get there? Yes, I think it's going to take some time. My sense is that if we look at the maturity of where almost the standard is, the industry standard is as far as adoption of cloud-based systems. When we look at real estate, they're laggards in this space. And so we haven't really achieved or we haven't got to a point where a lot of this is mainstream. Part of the issue is nobody sees it has this, or a few companies have this as a priority, but it hasn't pushed into sort of mainstream and the value propositions. Uh, It has to start with that vision around what's the opportunities, what do you want to achieve, your objective as an organization, and the benefits and the long-term aspect. And where are some of these and how do you tie these to, for example, if you are in construction, um, what are some of the benefits? And if you are in property management and asset management, there are a fair amount of benefits from there as well. But how do you position this as that value? And a lot of the time, the value that you get out of it is more of a long-term play, not a short, shorter-term instant cost recovery or reduction in time. But more and more, we're starting to see these use cases come out from organizations on some of the benefits. And so um, as we get to that point, there certainly has to be investment from an organization who wants to address this issue or just these opportunities, shall I say, for better work of the future. And I want to ask a question, which, you know, this is, I ask everybody about AI. So have you seen much development or interaction with AI within this space? Because I would assume, let's say, with trying to value a market, like I, I know, like the startup that I mentioned, they use a lot of machine learning to value a property with the best valuation. Do you see any of those happening in the field? Any interaction with AI? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're not thinking about AI and the opportunities that it can present, houses, and so mm-hmm. there's a lot of aspects where, like startups are looking into ways of even on the customer journey, right? And Mm. going back to the earlier point in discussion we had around if you rent a property, great, you have a set of information. But as you take a step back, there's a number of organizations who are actually looking at what's that full journey of 
the life cycle of an individual like you and I. So you, you rent a place, that's great. Maybe you're single, maybe you have a partner, but what is that full life cycle journey? What is the timing on that? And there's a number of organizations who are starting to analyze the data and understand that full journey because once you know those baseline numbers and once you understand, okay, maybe they're looking now to expand, maybe they have a family or maybe they just want a bigger space, what is their journey? And so as a company, maybe you do property management, but maybe you also do construction development. So how do I take the journey for your customer and translate that instead of being a renter, how do you translate that into maybe them moving into one of your apartments or one of the bigger apartments or homes that they may have? And that sort of full cycle journey. And how do you make that seamless? And how do you make this engaging? And how do you build your brand as an organization to really facilitate the journey and make it seamless for them? hundred percent. I was going to point out, I was too excited. I, I heard about this. It's a company in Singapore and they optimize specifically for Singaporeans in a Singapore market. But essentially, if you are a renter or a buyer, I think they optimize for renters though. You can literally select the things that you're looking for. Let's say you have a small family, so you want it to be dog friendly. You want it to be family friendly and you can be as specific as you want. It's literally almost like clicking on features on the website and immediately they just give you this entire list and they give you a contact, they give you exceptional amount of detail. And they did it so seamlessly in Singapore. And I completely agree with you. I think what you mentioned about a frictionless customer journey, I absolutely love that. I, I wonder though, because Singapore is really small, if that could be sort of scaled in a larger growing market like Vancouver or Toronto or, or wherever in the world. Do you think that scalability will be a bit of an issue? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, one thing that I've been been looking at is more broader market needs. So I think as organizations or startups look to scale, either move up into a different niche area, from a niche area into a more broader market, whether it be sort of regional or, or global, there's certain aspects which they need to take into consideration. Number one, the regional regulation is a big part of it, but also the customer needs start to shift and start to change mm -hmm. as well. And you start running into things like competitor market spaces. So again, there may be another competitor in the space that fits a need, same need. And so starting to run into the challenge around the innovation side. Innovation is happening so fast that there's a lot of players in the space across the board. And so there's there's certainly opportunity for organizations to scale. I would say that those who are well-funded and well-connected um, are going to do better than those who are not. And we've seen this play out in a number of spaces. I wanted to catch on what you mentioned about well-funded and well-connected. How can organizations be more well-funded or well-connected? As in, how can they be more attractive to investors out there? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of organizations, VCs, private equity firms who, who are starting to gain a lot of traction and invest in the prop tech space. So there's there's a number of organizations, not only nationally, but North America, 
who spaces for them to pitch their pitch their solution, but also innovation hubs that are happening really across nationally. There's been quite a lot of investment across the board in a lot of these companies that we've seen to date. So certainly getting exposure is a big key and solving the problem. What problem are you trying to solve? There's been a lot of organizations who've been acquired by companies and also not the traditional companies you may think. For example, I know that Royal Bank has made some acquisitions of some of the pop tech companies in real Mm. estate, specifically on the lines of financing recently. So there's a lot of innovation and a lot of funding that's coming through sort of VCs and private equity and private companies, in a matter of fact, are investing in, in some of these. Certainly slowed down in the next, in the past number of months, but I think it is going to continue as we move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am really curious to hear your sort of visionary perspective. So we've seen real estate shift over the years, and now they're sort of ramping up the digital maturity scale. What do you think is the future of real estate tech in this space? Yeah, that's a good question. The way I look at it is maybe not so much from a tech side, but it's from the fundamental question around trust. How do we build Mm. trust? And so it's probably one of those things which is under discussed or or not talked about enough because when you think about the technology and you think about the solutions that are out there this really has to do with trust in in the processes trust in in the people that you're interacting with and dealing with a lot of the prop tech and contact or technology for that matter is trying to solve for trusted process, seamless processes that people rely on and clean data in the end of the day. So technologies around trust are certainly going to be more prevalent. I mean, blockchain is taking a big hit from a crypto aspect, but the concept of blockchain really resides around sort of trust in, in knowing the transactions on the earth. And it's an interesting concept to translate this into real estate because if everybody has this information of, yes, this transaction was done by X person and that person, both parties are verified, both parties are able to put entry on the ledger. Now you have an environment of trust where you actually can do, do commerce in a very fast and efficient manner and also reducing costs. So these aspects where I think about technology and kind of where it's moving is certainly around the area of where is trust need to be improved on or how can trust be improved on to create sort of efficiencies really around speed and also reduce costs in the end of the day. And so, again, if you look at the technology side, uh, anywhere that's going to create automation to trust mm-hmm. verification or automation around approvals and also trust around the data in the end of the day. Where is it saved? And this can go across all aspects of real estate, everywhere from title of land transfers to execution of, of contracts to really verifying who at the end of the day is the buyer and seller of properties mm-hmm. or renters. Right. And we see a lot of this in the space today. There's a lot of companies who are doing these verifications. And what does it do? It, it ultimately validates and creates this trusted environment 
that organizations need to move fast and efficiently. Right. You've mentioned verification a lot. I would like to define what this problem of verification is. What are you trying to solve right now in terms of verification, like understanding who the buyer, who the seller is? I mean, excluding the blockchain world. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And so there are, there are products out there who do verification. One of them is a Canadian company. I've chatted to those folks a number of times through various connections and past experiences with them. But essentially, in that case, it is verifying who individuals are. We live in a world where it's really a global place to work, to play. And so one of the challenges, as an example, is if you're an international individual moving from, let's say, anywhere around the world coming to Canada, you really haven't built the base for credit. And so one of the ways that these companies verify is through other means and other sources of information, whether it be previous history, but it really adds value to, okay, even though this person is new to the country, they're really not new to either lending or financing. So we don't want to discount them because, quite frankly, this is new to the country. And so this whole verification process is done more at a global scale and is able to verify that Indeed, this individual has great credit history. They are able to either rent a place or able to do commerce. And that's aspect of it to able to create more efficiency and validate individuals who would have taken number one, a long time or, or not be verified at all. And so it starts to create this seamless approach to moving and executing on either deals or opportunities in the end of the day. How do you how do you enable that? Because I'm an example. So I'm from Australia, moved to Vancouver, and to sort of get that credit, it was quite hard. I had to prove savings, all of that. There was a full list, build a case study, references. Is there a way to make that a more efficient and seamless way? Yeah, I think there's a number of organizations who are trying to really solve for it. And there are kind of many ways to approach it based on kind of what I've seen. For example, if you're trying to rent a place, there's organizations who have partnered with uh, these organizations to verify. And uh, there's a number of other organizations who do similar verification. But the question for the organization is, how does this integrate with their current processes and current systems? And so this is certainly where, number one, as we innovate and as we try to create these seamless experiences, integration is going to be critical and key as organizations not only adopt technology, but they adopt the best of breed technology that will help them achieve their objectives and their goals. And so, in essence, this will almost be, for example, if you're looking for a place to rent, this will almost be embedded within the process within the organization and in some of the solutions that are out there to verify the individuals and the parties involved in either renting a place of the renters or the the landlords or owners of these properties and spaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, this is a true problem that I see every time. So I think absolutely that's such a good problem to solve. Oh. You know, looking at, at real estate tech as a whole, we see technology moving so quickly. Should we be afraid of how quickly technology is moving? Or what are your thoughts? For me, when I look at 
technology is not moving fast enough within these organizations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where there's real opportunities for there's or real estate and development construction companies is to increase productivity and efficiencies through adoption of not only best practice processes, but also technologies that enable and almost supercharge these processes to them move faster. And so the world we're moving towards is one that where manual processes and simple things as far as writing checks need to be automated. And individuals and people who are moving into to roles and employees want to actually focus on the value-added work of analyzing, collecting information, and informing. Not so much moving physical papers around. We've come a long way as an industry to eliminate and improve these processes. There's still a lot of opportunity to embrace technology to move us forward in that space. I think there's technologies right now that are using from the client and facing consumer side that are starting to push the envelope. They're starting to to sort of innovate and help the consumer people who are buying and selling properties to innovate. But there's certainly always, I think, going to be sort of a human element in some of these things as far as buying and selling. But how do we improve the experience? How do we provide a custom or tailored approach to buying and selling a house based on needs and not just a broad brush catch-all? In the end of the day. Yeah, I hope that answered the question. I'm not sure if that's absolutely. Yeah, no, like that was that was a great answer. And it's a great episode, too. I learned so much today. So thank you so much for joining us here in the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and it's been a great time. And this concludes this week's episode on real estate. You can always reach out to Greg Folk on his LinkedIn. All the links are in the description. If you like what you hear, feel free to download the episode, follow or leave a review. We'll be back next week exploring a new industry. I'm Jacinta. Be sure to tune in. And as always, thank you for listening.